0: Good morning, church. Let's give the choir a hand. Amen. Did a, did a wonderful job, and I, and I always love hearing songs about the blood, because, again, it's, not, it's only by the blood that we can obtain salvation. Amen. Uh, Hebrews nine twelve says that neither by the blood of goats and cows, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So truly, we thank God for the blood. Uh, for those of you, I think most of you know me by now, but for those who don't, my name is uh, Rico Patterson, one of the pastors here at the church, and as always, I just thank the Lord for the opportunity to share the gospel. And I was uh, just sharing, you know, during the last service how truly I consider it an honor and a, and a privilege just to be able to, you know, share God's Word, and I thank God that the Lord can use me and use us in spite of ourselves, amen? amen. It's not because of me, it's not because of us, but it's only because of His grace and His mercy, Amen. 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 And I don't know about you, I need help every day. Amen? I need help every day. So I I, I thank God for that. Uh, Didn't we have a uh, wonderful series when we came out of 1 John? 1 John, that was a wonderful series. And, you know, I think every book in the Bible, many people believe that every book in the Bible has a a key verse in it. And I think that uh, 1 John, the the key verse is 1 John 5.13. And Randy spoke on on that last week, but it says... uh, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And so the theme of that book or that epistle was that the child of God can know that we have eternal life. And then evidence of that is that we now walk in love, we walk in obedience, and we walk in truth. But today we want to take a step back and talk about how we obtain that eternal life. And John talked about that some in that epistle, but that was not the theme of that epistle. So now we want to take a step back and talk about how we obtain that eternal life that John was talking about. So today let's go to Romans, the 10th chapter, and this is uh, you know, the epistle of Romans written by Paul. Let's go to Romans, the 10th chapter, and we want to look at the first four verses in that 10th chapter of Romans. Romans 10 verses 1 through 4 <clears throat> Here are a few more pages turning so I'll give you a chance to get there. Amen. <clears throat> can't can't hear the iPhones though. <laughs> All right, there it reads. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you, Lord, as humble as we know how, Lord. Just thank you, Lord, for this blessed opportunity to stand here this morning, Lord, as we prepare to deliver thy holy and thy most precious word. Lord, as I stand here, Lord, I just uh, realize, Lord, that I can do nothing on my own, Lord. I just need you for everything, Lord. So as, the, as, as our Lord Jesus said that, you know, I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. So, Lord Jesus, we realize without you we can do absolutely nothing. But I thank God as the Apostle Paul said so that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So, Lord, as I stand here this morning, Lord, I just ask for the filling of your Holy Spirit upon me, Lord. And I ask and pray that the words that come forth from out of my mouth, Lord, that they would not be mine, Lord, but I ask and pray that they might be yours. For we are not here for a form or fashion, Lord. We are not here to glorify ourselves, but we are here to lift up your name, that wonderful, awesome, magnificent, precious, and just glorious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. So I ask right now, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen me, Lord, that you would use me and help me to lift up your name. In Jesus Christ's precious and holy name we pray, amen. Amen. Our message for this morning is entitled, The Only Way to Get Right with God. The Only Way to Get Right with God. Now, in this 10th chapter of Romans, we see that Israel had a zeal for God. In other words, they were working hard, they were very religious, and they may have even had good intentions. But the scriptures say it was not according to knowledge. For they had an intellectual awareness of the outward demands of God's law. In other words, they knew the commandments that thou shall do this or thou shall not do that. But when it came to truly understanding the purpose of God's law, they were completely ignorant. For many Jews thought the way to be made righteous was by keeping the law, by following a list of do's and don'ts. By participating in various religious rituals. But they did not realize that keeping the law was never intended to make them righteous in the eyesight of God. For one of the true purposes of the law was to show Israel that they could not keep it. And therefore they needed someone to keep the law for them. Galatians 3.24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster or our tutor to bring us into Christ that we might be justified by faith. And the exact same thing is still true today. For the only way we can be made righteous is not by keeping the law, but it's being, by being covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why in Philippians 3, 9, Paul said that his desire was to be found in Christ, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now that's difficult for many people in the world as well as for many in the church to understand. But the righteousness of God is different than the world's definition of righteousness. If you look at Webster's Dictionary, Webster defines righteousness as one standard which is ethical, just, or good. And if you think about that definition, what that means is that everyone has their own personal standard of what's right and what's wrong. And that's one reason why there's so much confusion in the world as well as in many of our churches today. Everyone thinks they're right. Don't we see that in the world today? We can't agree on every anything. Everyone thinks they're right. But the Bible defines righteousness is simply being right with God. And the only way we can get right with God is by putting on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ Jesus is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And what that tells us is we cannot make ourselves right, we cannot work ourselves right, we cannot get ourselves right, But the only way to get right is we must submit ourselves to him. And that's why we need to always remember that Jesus Christ is the only way to get right with God. Now, as we take a closer look at our text, we see several different types of righteousness that Paul refers to. So today we want to look at three different types of righteousness that should be understood if we truly want to get right with God. First, let's go back to Romans 10.3, Romans 10.3, in the first part of that verse. And there it reads, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. And we're going to stop right there. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. So the first thing we want to talk about is God's incomparable righteousness. And what that means is nothing can compare to it. God's incomparable righteousness. Righteousness. Now Israel was inexcusably ignorant of God's righteousness because she tried to establish her own righteousness and and refused to submit herself to the righteousness of God. For the Israelites tried to bring God's righteousness down to their own sinful level. And as a result, they thought that God was less holy than he truly was. But Israel did not realize just how righteous my God is. For God is righteous in his nature and will always be righteous. It is a fundamental part of his makeup. Psalms 145, 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. Just as the sun cannot darken, God cannot act unrighteous. But righteousness or holiness is a part of God's inward character. It is a part of his very essence. Psalms 119, 137 says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. And throughout scriptures, God's holiness and God's righteousness is symbolized as light. Blinding, unending, and undiminishing whiteness. 1 John 1, 5, we just went through that. 1 John 1, 5 says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John eight twelve, our Lord said that I am the light of the world. In the 27th Psalm, David said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? This light was so bright that it caused Saul to fall to the earth trembling when confronted with God's holiness and God's righteousness. And that gives us just a glimpse of just how righteous my God is. In the 65th Psalm, it says, By terrible things and righteousness will thou answer us, O God of our salvation. And church, because God is perfectly righteous, he must oppose, condemn, and punish sin wherever sin exists. There must be his uncompromising attitude towards it, for righteousness can have no fellowship with unrighteousness. And that's why, and this is hard to believe, well, that's why not a single solitary sin can be forgiven outside of Jesus Christ. For God's holiness demands perfection. And none of us, none of us are able to meet the perfect standards of a holy and righteous God. Amen? James 2.10, it talks about if we break one part of the law, just one part of the law, in thought, in word, in deed, one part of the law We have broken the entire law, and we are guilty before God. And that's why the awful lake of fire, the coming wrath of the Almighty, the eternal punishment of hell, present no difficulties when we realize just how righteous my God is. Sadly, today many have experienced a loss of holy terror and reverence for God. Our great appreciation of God's love God's mercy and God's forgiveness in Christ. And that's a great thing. We should appreciate it. But unfortunately, many times, it seems like it's allowed us to hide the awesome reality of God's holiness. Today, it seems foreign to speak about God like Isaiah did. In Isaiah 2.10, when he said, "'Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty.'" It seems foreign to speak about God like Job did in the 42nd chapter of Job when he said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself, I despise myself, and repent in dust and ashes. It seems foreign to speak about God like Peter did in Luke 5, 8 when he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. However, the closer we get to God, the more we realize just how righteous God is and just how unrighteous we are. And that's why Paul, the great apostle, referred to himself as the chief of sinners. Think about it. Paul wrote 14 books of the New Testament, founded numerous churches, used mightily by God. Yet he referred to himself as the chief of sinners, Because he was so close to God, he realized his own unrighteousness. For God's unrighteousness is incomparable. Nothing can compare to it. And when we realize the truth of God's righteousness and that God demands perfection, then we also realize that we must come to God on his terms and not on our own. Amen? I'm going to say that one more time. When we realize the truth, of God's righteousness, and that God demands perfection, then we also realize that we must come to God on his terms and not on our own. And that's one of the reasons why I believe, believe it or not, Jesus Christ is typified by the sun. Everyone, take a look at the sun. Think about the sun. We're all familiar with the sun. But just as the sun is glorious, blinding, and the only source of light for this world, in the same way the glory, holiness, and righteousness of Jesus Christ is blinding and one of a kind. And that's why we cannot obtain this righteousness on our own. Psalms 84.11 says, For the Lord God is a sun, S-U-N, and shield. Is that just a coincidence, or is there some meaning behind that? Malachi 4.2, the Lord is called the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness. And there's many other scriptures that say similar things. But I believe there's many ways, believe it or not, in which the sun typifies or is a picture of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a table up here. And for those of you online or, or you can also access this online as well. Think about some of these ways. These are just some of these ways. There's only one sun in our solar system that gives light to the world. Well, there's only one son, S-O-N, who gives spiritual light to the world. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Think about the son. The son is pure, bright, and glorious. Well, the same thing is true of Jesus Christ. No one is pure, bright, and glorious as him. In Hebrews 1.3, he is called the brightness of God's glory. Without the sun, there is no physical life. Nothing can live without light from the sun. And and I Googled that just to confirm that, amen? Just to confirm that. (laughs) Nothing can live without light from the sun. Well, there is no spiritual or physical life outside of Jesus Christ. John 1, 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men." The sun gives light to the whole world. It shines upon the just as well as upon the unjust. Well, Jesus Christ is a universal light that's available to the entire world. John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. The sun is called a great light. Did you know that 1.3 million earths can fit inside the sun? How is that even possible? That great ball of fire, 93 million miles away, is so large, 1.3 million earths can fit inside the sun. It is truly a great light. Well, did you know that Jesus referred to himself as a great light? In Matthew 4, 16, it says, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And that's because he is great in power, great in wisdom, and great in righteousness. Think about this. The sun has a pleasing and rejoicing quality about it. Nothing like being out on a bright, sunny day. If it's raining outside, you don't mind watching TV, reading a book, playing video games, taking a nap, whatever the case might be. But when it's bright and sunny outside, think about it. All of mankind has been created with a desire to be out in the sun. Ecclesiastes 11.7 says, A pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. Well, in the same way, there is nothing as pleasant and rejoicing as being in the presence of Jesus Christ. David said in Psalm 1611, In thy presence is fullness of joy. And then the sun operates according to the matter that it shines upon. The sun will soften wax, but that same sun will harden clay. Well, in the same way, Jesus Christ offers life to some and death to others depending upon the hardness of our hearts. 2 Corinthians 2:16 says, to the one we are the savor of death unto death and to the other the savor of life unto life. Who is sufficient for these things? And that's just a few things. I could go on. Everything in this solar system revolves around the sun. Everything revolves around Jesus Christ. My daughter Jessica told me that the gravitational force of the sun holds everything together. Colossians, the first chapter, verses 16 and 17. Jesus Christ is the one who holds everything together. You can't look at the sun in all of its glory on a bright, sunny day. I tried it. Don't try it. They say you can hurt your eyes. But when it was first revealed to me, I, I tried to look at the sun on a bright, sunny day. Couldn't do it. Couldn't look at the sun in all of its glory. Think about what Moses did. Moses said, ask God, let me see you in all my glory. God says, you can't do that and live. He said, I'm going to hide you in a rock. I'm going to put my hand over you, and then I'm going to pass by. I'm just going to let you see my backside. We can't see God in all of his glory. Therefore, church, when we look at the sun, we should think of none other than Jesus Christ. And just like there is nothing like the glory of the sun, there is nothing like the glory, holiness, and righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 23, 6 says, This is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. And when we recognize the true righteousness of the Lord, we also recognize that we must come to God on his terms and not on our own. For God has an incomparable righteousness. Amen? Amen. Incomparable righteousness. And isn't that amazing? Just think about the Son, that being a picture of Jesus Christ. No one could do that but God himself. Amen? The, the, as it says in, in, in the 14th Psalm, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Amen? All right, let's go back to Romans now. Romans, the 10th chapter. Let's go back to verse 3 again. Romans 10, 3. And there it says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. We want to stop right there. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. So first we saw that God's incomparable righteousness, nothing can compare to it. Now we want to look at man's imaginary righteousness. Amen? Man's imaginary righteousness. Now, as we've already mentioned, Israel tried to establish her own righteousness by keeping the law. But they did not realize that man has no righteousness of his or her own that can meet the righteous demands of a holy God. Romans 3.10 says that there is none righteous, no, not one. Isaiah 64.6 says that all our righteousnesses or all our righteous acts are as filthy rags. Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And because this human heart is corrupt, because this human heart is deceitful, because this human heart is desperately wicked, it cannot produce any righteousness that is acceptable to God. Many think that they're righteous because they look at righteousness as being relative. Therefore, we think we're righteous because we love our family. We think we're righteous because we feed the poor. We think we're righteous because we work hard. We think we're righteous because we pay our bills. Some people think they're righteous because they preach behind the pulpit. Some people think they're righteous because they go to church. But the word of God says if we have not received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are no different than any other unrepentant sinner, murderer, rapist, you name the sin, we are on our way to hell. John 3:36 says that he that believeth on the son hath everlasting life. But he that believeth not the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Satan's lie that all false religions, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Masonry, Mormonism, the lie that all false religions have fallen for is that we are justified or made righteous by our works. But as we've already discussed, no matter how righteous we may think we are, man's righteousness is never good enough to meet the incomparable righteousness of God. That's what Israel tried to do, but they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And that's why we can come to church all we want. We can talk the talk, walk the walk perform all kinds of religious activities that attempt to justify ourselves in our own eyes. But it will still not be good enough if we have not submitted ourselves unto the righteousness of God. We need to heed the warning that the Lord Jesus gave the Pharisees in Luke sixteen fifteen, when he said, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Therefore, we cannot make the mistake of thinking just because we enter into the church, just because we try to live right, that this will please God, that he will overlook my sin, and he will allow me to enter into heaven. Proverbs 14:12 says that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. For no matter how good we may think we are, it is not good enough if we are depending upon our own righteousness to satisfy God. Let's go to Romans, the third chapter. Romans, the third chapter. And I'll start with verse 10. We're going to look at verses 10 through 20. And here we see, from God's perspective, what the true righteousness of man looks like. Romans, the third chapter. Start with verse 10. We're going to look at verses 10 through 20. And there it reads, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. How many of you believe that? How many of you know that? As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. There are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. That's a graveyard. With their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Aren't we seeing murder all over the world today? Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Don't we see that in the world today? No fear of God whatsoever. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So the purpose of the law is to show us that we cannot keep it and we are guilty before God. Verse 20. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Church, that's the true state of all of mankind outside of Jesus Christ. But believe it or not, when we realize this, that's a good thing. Because if we want to be saved and used by the Lord, we first need to need to recognize our own unrighteousness. And that we need the righteousness of God. The prophet Isaiah realized this in the sixth chapter of Isaiah. For in the previous chapter, he pronounced six woes or troubles upon the nation of Israel for their terrible disobedience. But then in the sixth chapter, Isaiah was suddenly brought into the presence of the Lord. And when he saw God's righteousness, when he saw God's holiness, now he began to see his own sinfulness. And that's when he pronounced one more woe. But that seventh woe, that number of completion, that seventh woe, he pronounced on no one but himself. In Isaiah 6, 5, it says, Then said I, this is what Isaiah said, Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And church, the same thing happens to us when we're brought in the presence of the Lord and we see God's righteousness and God's holiness. When you're brought in the presence of the Lord, instead of criticizing everyone else, instead of looking at everyone else's faults, instead of talking about what others need to do or aren't doing, now we begin to see our own sinfulness. Now we begin to see our own unrighteousness. Now we begin to see our own filthiness. Now we begin to see the need to pass judgment on myself. When you're brought in the presence of the Lord, now we understand what Paul meant when he said, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. When you're brought in the presence of the Lord, you understand what David meant when he said, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. When you're brought in the presence of the Lord, again, you understand what David meant when he said, behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. But even though that might seem like a bad thing, that is actually a good thing. It's a great thing, for now we realize just how much we need the Lord. Therefore, don't fall into the same trap as Israel, and that believing our own righteousness can please God. For man has an imaginary righteousness. Amen? Man has an imaginary righteousness. All right, let's go back to Romans now. We're going to wrap it up. Let's go to Romans, the 10th chapter, and look at verses uh, 3 and 4. And there it reads again. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So first we saw that God has an incomparable righteousness. Nothing can compare to it. Then we saw that man has an imaginary righteousness. Amen? It's fake news, amen? Man has an imaginary righteousness, no righteousness of his own. So if God has an incomparable righteousness, man has an imaginary righteousness, how can we meet the righteousness of God? Well, thanks be to God is through Jesus Christ's imputed righteousness, amen? Imputed. And impute means to place on one's account, amen? Jesus Christ imputed righteousness, Now, when our text says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes, that simply means those who place their trust in Jesus Christ put an end, put an end to their attempts of trying to obtain righteousness through the law. For now we realize that righteousness only comes through the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, impute means to credit something to something that they do not already have, to place on one's account. And a perfect example is the book of Philemon, book of Philemon, short book, one chapter right before the book of Hebrews. But in that letter in which Paul wrote to Philemon, Philemon was a slave master and the slave Onesimus had run away, but he was converted under the teaching of Paul. Now, Paul encouraged Onesimus to return to the slave master Philemon. But in order to protect Onesimus, he wrote this letter to Philemon. And listen to what he said in verses 17 and 18. He says, this is what, what Paul says to Philemon. He says, if I count me, therefore, a partner, receive him, receive Onesimus as myself. If he has wronged thee or owed thee aught or owes you anything, put that on mine account. Believe it or not, did you know that God has done the same thing for us? We have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. When my Lord Jesus died on the cross, he paid our debt for us, and all the wrong that we've done, our Lord Jesus said, put that on mine account. But not only was our sin placed on his account, but when we believe in him, his perfect life of righteousness is now placed on our account. James 2 23 says that Abraham believed God and what? It was imputed unto him for righteousness. It's just like when two people get married, and my, my life group has heard this many times, but when Tony and I got married, we became legally one. Amen? And any debts that I had now became her debt. So I had any bills? Luckily, I didn't have many bills. I don't think I had any. Did I have any, Tony? I don't think I had any bills. <laughs> but I had any bills, if I owed anything legally, now she was also responsible for that. By the same token, if I had any assets, if I owed anything, that was now legally hers. Well, the same thing happens when we become betrothed, engaged, married to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We become one with him. And now the debt that we owe And I owed God my life because of my sin. The debt that I owed has been paid by my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross for my sin. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then the beautiful thing about it is, and many people don't realize this, the beautiful thing about it, his assets, his perfect life of righteousness, now becomes my righteousness. And that's why we've got to place our faith in Jesus Christ. Because he, and only he, can give us the righteousness that we need. If we desire a righteousness that is acceptable to God, it must be divinely provided by God himself. And that's why we must turn away from our self-righteousness unto Jesus Christ, who has made righteousness for us. Romans 3.22 says, That we need the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. And what that teaches us is that preaching won't get you right. Teaching won't get you right. Going to church won't get you right. Living a good life won't get you right. But the only way to get right is you must receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen? Many times we make the mistake of trying to get right and then come to God. I did that when I, before I came to Christ. I was working hard, just trying to live right, do the right thing, thinking that that could somehow please God. But what I learned eventually is the Lord said, you first come to me and I will make you right. Amen. Second Corinthians 521 says, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When God sees the child of God, he does not see our imaginary righteousness anymore, but instead he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And because God has made us righteous, we are now perfectly righteous. We have the righteousness of Jesus Christ and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are blessed in him. Isaiah 61.10 and I, I love this verse. Isaiah 61 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with what? The robe of righteousness. And that's why Jesus Christ is the only way. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Therefore, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And this is the only way. For our Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And once we're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, did you know now we have everything that we need? Amen? As Joshua just told me after the last service, it is finished, church. And now we have everything that we need. Look at what he said in his word. I know you can't look up all those, but in the 37th Psalm, it says, the the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. In 2 Timothy, it says that he shall deliver me from every evil work and shall preserve me into his heavenly kingdom. 41st chapter of Isaiah says, fear thou not, for I am with thee, be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with a right hand in my righteousness. Second Chronicles, it says, Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourself, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord. You're going to have some battles in your life. You're going to have some struggles in your life. You're going to have some difficult times in your life. But ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourself. Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord. 34th Psalm, it says, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want or lack any good thing. In the 30th Psalm, David said that weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in Romans 8, 31, it says, if God be for us, who can be against us? That's why, church, that's why, church, we have got to submit ourselves to Jesus Christ and be clothed in his perfect righteousness. For this is the only way to get right with God. Amen? The only way to get right with God. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are such an awesome God, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord, just for the truth of realizing that your Son, Jesus Christ, is the only way to get right with God. You have an incomparable righteousness. Nothing can compare to it. And just as you look at the glory of the Son, your glory is even greater, Lord, and there is nothing can compare to your perfect righteousness. But yet man has an imaginary righteousness, We have no righteousness of our own that can meet the standards of a perfect and holy God. But I thank God for the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Once we place our faith in you, that righteousness is now placed on our account, Lord. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for that wonderful, wonderful, wonderful blessing, Lord, and I just pray, Lord, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice here in the sanctuary, online, Midlothian campus, anyone under the sound of my voice who have heard that and doesn't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, I just pray that even right now they might come crying out and say, what must I do to be saved? And prayerfully, they will come to realize that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for you being the great God who you are. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.